Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Grizz Nation to another Revisionist Grizzly, a podcast series under the Core 4 podcast, which is on the GBB Podcast Network, along with GBB Live and the 3ND Podcast. You can find every episode in the Grizzly Bear Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues as a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is GBB Senior Staff Writer, the co-host of the Lot Dawn Grizzlies podcast, none other than the five seed, Hurricane Coleman, Sean Coleman. <laughs> Sean, what's up, Parker? How are you, man? Doing all right? Yeah, just another day in quarantine, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm about I, I, my, my wife. I wouldn't I would. There's no one I would rather want to spend quarantine with. But, man, I'm, I'm ready to get out and get some stuff done. It's uh, it's it's wearing a little bit. But, you know, as always, it's it's needed. So just got to make do. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like like me and like a lot of other people on GBB, we continue to push out content through this time. We've been without basketball f- for two months now. Sean on the Lot Tom Grizzlies podcast had me and Joe Mullinax on to draft our eight team Grizzlies team based off all the French, the players in Grizzlies history based on their time in, in Grizzlies. So be sure to check that out at Lot on Grizzlies. I'm honestly promised you have the best team fit for 2020 and the positionless basketball route. Wrong. And, and uh, Sean and I have also done a pretty good job loading up some tournaments. We've also had the help of Justin Lewis and Brandon Abraham. Uh, Justin and Sean launched the greatest Grizzlies tournament that took place at the beginning of this whole shutdown. Then Justin Lewis created the NBA 2K GBB tournament 
which I can't remember who won the Xbox side, but I know Devin Walker beat Nate Chester in the PS4 side. And then Brandon the Abraham. Did the, did the Xbox side even finish? I don't remember that at all. No, yeah, they finished. I just can't. I think one of the barn burner guys might have won. I'm not yeah. too sure. He but was um, the guy, I, I didn't keep up with it that much just because, okay, let's be honest, I'm a bit older. But um, in terms of like when we were talking about it, I, somebody mentioned that barn burner guy was just destroying everybody he was playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then. Brandon Abraham and I decided to stir a little bit of stuff and start the Grizzly Bear Blues Grizzlies Twitter tournament, which was a 64 account bracket. And I know I feel really bad about some of the seeding and the exclusions and snubs and all that. But our real goal is to try to get kind of a representative from each sector of Grizzlies Twitter, like you have your Grind City Media, your radio and TV that we had voting on today. And those are all awesome people. They if they would have done it in like in a normal region where I didn't really take that into account, it was more of a free-for-all. Probably every single one of those accounts would have been t- five like top five seats easily. The Grizzly Bear Blues one, I just wanted to let everyone I want everyone to get recognized. Like that's the thing. Like we have a hardworking staff and it'd be very disrespectful to exclude people. So I wanted to just let everyone get their shine there. We have some awesome local media that, I mean, I've become friends with at games and I talk to just about basketball, sports, life, all that. And then just, and then also like the fan accounts, former GBBers or, Super fans in one region. So just getting a representative from each of those sectors of Grizzlies Twitter to crown a champion of Grizzlies Twitter. Well, spoiler alert, it won't be me. (laughs) Hey, you know what? It may not be me either. We have a lot of awesome Twitter accounts in Grizzlies Nation. And it's great that, you know, it calls enough ruckus of, you know, potential snubs. You're just grateful that more than 64 people care about your sports team. So that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a very good way of looking at it, Parker. Yeah. And so with this edition of Revisionist Grizzly, Sean and I wanted to talk about the biggest rivalry in Grizzlies history and one that might go down as the biggest even years down the line. And that is the Grind City Lob City rivalry. Everybody exactly. knows how that kind of shaped out. So yeah, grit and grind, the core four, more of your blue collar, grit and grind, get it done, scoring, getting into games in like the 80s and 90s, really just sticking you in the half court and making you play their game through Zach Randolph and Marc Gasol. And then with the Los Angeles Clippers, you had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and a rotating slew of role players that were, I mean, excellent. Jamal Crawford, J.J. Redick, Karan Butler, Eric Bledsoe. The list can go on and on. But they were more of that, let's get out and run, throw some alley-oops, that showtime pizzazz. And it kind of just became a rivalry between the 2012 and 2013 playoffs and manifested into a very fun rivalry for that little playoff stretch and one of the defining moments of the grit and grind era. 
Yeah. And, you know, let's let's take a look back, you know, and I'll go through this real quickly. Um, You know, kind of like the last dance is talking about the 97, 98 Bulls, you know, looking at um, the uh, um, Grizzlies, you know, the present day would be the grit and grind era, but going back, you know, this, this all came together starting in 2007. If you look at it, Parker, I mean, and, and, and the Grizzlies and Clippers had been intertwined many years before they had faced each other in the playoffs. You know, in the 07 draft, the Grizzlies got Mike Conley. Well, and then in 08, the Grizzlies, uh, they, they drafted, um, knowing the Pau Gasol era was coming to an end. Uh, they, they, we're looking potentially at Kevin Love. They drafted him, but traded him for OJ Mayo. Well, the Clippers in that same draft, um, uh, they they got um, um, DeAndre. I can't ever remember DeAndre's last name. What's his last name? DeAndre Jordan. I always want to say Butler for some reason, but DeAndre Jordan. They got him in the second round of the 2008 draft, 2009 draft. Obviously. The Clippers, they get Blake Griffin. Um, we wind up taking Hashim to beat, but. Because of the Clippers taking Griffin in the 09 draft, they make a trade of Zach Randolph in 2009, where the Grizzlies send Quentin Richardson for Zach Randolph. And then, of course, you know, a few years later, you had the, you know, Pau Gasol, the um, uh, Chris Paul trade uh, to, to the Clippers. So you have these teams that are formed kind of in the same fashion. You've got DeAndre Jordan and uh, Mark Gasol, these two big second-round guys who you don't think much of who turn into all-NBA players. You've got Blake Griffin and Mike Conley, the top draft picks. And then you've got um, uh, the hired guns, I guess you could say, Zach Randolph and Chris Paul. You know, these two players who these franchises traded for to really be the identity, the heart and soul of them becoming a winner. And so these two teams, they were also built inside and out, but like you said, they were different in terms of the blue collar Grizzlies and, you know, the, you know, um, show stopping or, you know, show making Clippers. I mean, wouldn't you say Parker, that there were a lot of similarities in how these teams were formed? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Like you mentioned in essence, it's a too big system even though they have differing styles of play. Granted, Blake Griffin did develop more of his in-between game in the his latter years of the Clippers. And, you know, it's unpopular as anything to say this in Grizzlies Twitter and the Grizzly Nation. But I admire the hell out of Blake Griffin for the work he put into his game and his craft and really becoming more than a dunker and just adding – different evolutions to his game each year, whether it was expanding his range or becoming more of a playmaker or really honestly taking sometimes like a point Blake role. And I, I've loved every minute of it. And also he's really funny. And then you have Deandre Jordan who he fits more of that rim running style where honestly the style of centers that fit in today's middle class, the guys that are, they're not going to demand the ball a lot. They're just going to go out and get rebounds, protect the rim and finish off easy opportunities. And then, I mean, you have Mike Conley and Chris Paul, and you can kind of argue that Mike Conley is like the upper middle-class version of Chris Paul in just the terms of how he facilitates the game. And he's not necessarily going to go out and average 25 a game, but he'll do it if it needs to get the job done, can make plays in the clutch, I mean, I could see the similarities because 
you can kind of see elements to where the Clippers want to like slow things down and play through that pick and roll, kind of like how the Grizzlies did with Mike and Mark. Yeah, but the playing styles just kind of hide that a little bit. Agreed, and and, and you're right. It, 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 in a general sense, they they were similar, but that that was the thing about it, and it, it was because of that. It was the uh, the all hype and you know claiming stuff before they had actually been there that the Clippers were doing. You know, when the Clippers got. Paul back in December of 2011, there was a ton of hype. People were talking about the Clippers as the next big thing. They were coming into their own when the Lakers were starting to fall off a bit. It, this, the, the Clippers were taking center stage in their L.A. It was very much like the Clippers in the 1920 season with Kawhi and Paul. That's how it was in 2011. They were self-ordaining themselves as the next big thing in the NBA, whereas you had the Grizzlies – in that 11-12 season, coming off of arguably one of the biggest first-round upsets in NBA history when they beat the Spurs as the eighth seed and played very well in the second round, um, it, you know, they were coming into their own, but they weren't a style and they weren't in a big market. So, you know, while the similarities were there, there also were, were many big differences um, that, that kind of aided the, you know, the budding rivalry, you know, when you, you know, looked at the turn the beginning of last decade. Yeah, you're right about them really coming into their own. And with the Clippers, with them getting Chris Paul, it was like, wow, after all these years of just kind of being the joke and the little brother in Los Angeles, especially with, at the time, the Lakers, they were just, actually, they lost Chris Paul in that trade. Like, they were supposed to get Chris Paul. David Stern vetoed it. And... So it was really kind of the twilight years of that Kobe and Powell and Andrew Bynum era. So you had a new battle of LA of a team that a dyna- mini dynasty kind of falling. I mean, as well as, I mean, Kobe was at the end of his career. So you're entering the twilight years of Kobe's career. And then you had this upstart team with an exciting big man and the best point guard in basketball, and probably the best point guard of the 21st century and Chris Paul. And meanwhile, you had the Grizzlies. They're that underdog story. And I, I think something that kind of went unrecognized in that is they were getting their starting small forward who averaged 19 the game back. So, I mean, there was a lot of excitement and optimism around there, but I mean, it's just crazy how the teams ended up crossing paths. And it was frustrating, you know, that that year. You know, I, I don't think that I was more frustrated in a Grizzlies playoff series. A lot of the reason why was because this series, I feel like the Grizzlies should have been the favorite. Um, and, 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 and arguably on paper, I think they were, especially coming off the season. But, um, you know, with, with the way the Clippers were sitting here acting like they were the it factor when the Grizzlies had actually earned the right to be called that, that added to it. But you know, leading to that 2011-2012 game, you know, I, I don't know if, how well you may remember it, Parker, but I, I remember it very vividly. That game, we were up so big, and it just we it, it just felt like, you know, the Grizzlies really were taking on the opportunity. They were really meeting expectations. It was just amazing. We were, I mean, we were at, up 19 at halftime and 21 at the end of the third quarter. And so I almost turned the game off. I don't know where you were. I was at home watching it with my with my dad. But then that third quarter or the fourth quarter happened, and Swaggy P came into his own. Arguably, it was the peak of his career, 
and he had like 12 or 15 points in the last three minutes. And of course, the Clippers came back from 21 down to beat us by one in that game one of the first round of the 11-12 playoffs. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that first Clippers series in 2012 and 20, yeah, that 2012 one, that was the only playoff series in that grit and grind era where I was actually just like, okay, they should have won. Because like you said, that game, that game one, I mean, blowing a 27 point lead is inexcusable, especially when one player is almost responsible for it was Spaggy P. And they also dropped the ball and lost a game seven at home. Like, oh, yeah. You can't, I I don't know. You just can't lose game sevens at home. I, you had the home court advantage, and I remember it was one of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen. I think part of it was also like an early game that could have gotten them out of whack. I don't know, but I would say that was probably the one they should have won, but didn't. I mean, with the 2013 one, the Spurs were awesome. The 2015 one, you had injuries, but even then, you were going up against a 67-win Warriors team, and then the Oklahoma city series in that first year where they lost in seven. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Like they, like they did, they took care of business. They won a game seven on the road. I really think that like that Clipper series was probably very just inexplicable. And I would honestly say, I guess the whole revisionist history behind it is how close that grind city, lob city Rivalry was close to not really being a rivalry. It was to an extent. It 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 very much was. I mean, when it comes to Lob City and Grind City, you don't want to call it a rivalry because of the fact that there was a difference in styles, and you know. I don't really think like you typically in a rivalry you want to see teams that will. They want to go up against each other. Both sides can't wait to face each other. That's the thing about the Grizzlies, though, and the Clippers in this. I just don't feel like the uh, the Clippers ever really wanted to play the Grizzlies. You know, in the 11-12 series, we kept them under 100 points in five of the seven games. That, Or, excuse me, in six of the seven games, actually. The, we made the Clippers play our style. They wound up beating us. And, yes, I remember that early Sunday afternoon I had gotten off, I'd gotten off early from church, came home so excited, and we just dropped the ball. It was, oh, it was heartbreaking. Um but that's the thing about it is that this rivalry, you typically want to see teams who either, you know, play similar styles or, you know, just, you know, don't they always want to go at each other, kind of like the Bulls and the Pistons did. But the Clippers didn't want any part of us. And it's because we made them play our style of game. It were it didn't work in 11-12, but hey, 12-13 season comes around that first round. It did work then. Yeah. I see that, but I, I think mine was more aimed about the part of, you know, they lost that first series in 2012, and they were actually down 2-0 in the 2013 playoffs. Like, if the Clippers actually took care of business and closed it out, would we even be calling it a robbery? I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, probably not. You probably wouldn't. That was the thing I think that also kind of helped it become a rivalry. Even though they only played twice, there was a lot of regular season antics, but you had a role reversal. 
Um, in the 11-12 playoffs, the Grizzlies were the favorites, and the Clippers um, somehow made it work. 12-13, the, the Clippers were viewed as the favorite, and the Grizzlies somehow made it work. But that 12-13 series, the way the Grizzlies came back – in games uh, three through six, that was amazing. And and I, I will say this, I was at our victory over the Spurs in 2010, 2011. It still doesn't compare to hearing whoop, uh, um, to, to a whoop that clip uh, going on in uh, in the stands during game six and 12, 13 playoffs. When Zach Randolph ran off the court after being ejected in the game, that was that was a defining moment of the grit and grind era. It was it was such a wonderful moment um, to see the Grizzlies uh, pull off the victory, uh, especially when they needed it for the grit and grind era to actually happen. Absolutely, and I just want to backtrack to the 2012 playoffs and just bring up a very sad statistic. So, in a seven game series, the Memphis Grizzlies managed to only hit 24 three pointers. And it only came from four different players. So really they hit maybe three and a half threes per game. And that's the reason, again, that it stinks. You don't like it, but that was Grizzlies basketball. And when you look at the stats, we made the Clippers play our game. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, it just showed at that time. That stat right there actually is quite eye-opening because even though the Grizzlies could pull off the victories, even though they they made it probably further as a, as a core than most people may have thought, that stat alone is a defining stat that shows why the the, the the philosophy, the brand the Grizzlies had was limited. Yeah, it worked, but it, there just came a point to where it could have been overcome. And that Clippers series in 11 and 12, it was because the Clippers were just a better outside shooting team. Right. And then it's weird too, because they did beat the Clippers that next year, but they also got rid of their two best outside shooters in OJ Mayo and Rudy Gay and added like two not I mean they added a non-shooting threat in Tayshaun Prince. I mean him and Tony Allen combined for seven threes. They did also add Jared Bayless and Quincy Bondexter, who were first and third in three point field goals made, and they were second and third in attempts. But it just I don't know, it's just baffling to me just how they managed to survive with extremely minimal three point shooting. And it just it 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 Basically, the Grizzlies went with the less is more philosophy. You could argue that O.J. Mayo and Rudy Gay theoretically had the highest ceilings. They were the most touted prospects, maybe with Zach Randolph um, coming out of college of that core, but they they unfortunately didn't fit. Lionel Hollins had his way of doing things. The core four bought into it. They embraced it, so Hollins found a way to work to make it embrace them. It just didn't work with Mayo and, and, and Gay, so they took them away, and look what happens. You know, this team really bonded. They believed in each other. They believed in their philosophy, and it worked, um, you know, all the way to the Western Conference Finals that year, um, you know, whether or not you want to count the rest of the Westbrook injury as the biggest reason why right and back to that lob city grind city rivalry when would you say was the hammer nail coffin to that rivalry it had to be that game where marcus Saul did the shimmy the conor mcgregor walk after hitting that three-pointer right it, to me it actually happened probably before that I, I think that the end of that rivalry actually occurred before that 
without them even playing each other. And the reason why that is, is because whenever the Grizzlies made it to the Western Conference Finals um, in the 2012-2013 season, um, you basically kind of got an understanding that, okay, this team can make it this far. But was it because of them or was it because of the of the Westbrook injury? And so, therefore, what you run into is, is like the, the, the Grizzlies, they make it to um, the, um, uh, the second round a few times after that, or excuse me, one more time after that. But the Clippers themselves, the Clippers made it to the semis in the 2013-2014 season and the 14-15 season. But then in the next three out of four years, they lose in the first round. So to me, the hammer nail coffin of this rivalry, in terms of the relevancy of it, and in terms of you know it losing a lot of the steam that it had, was at the end of that 2012-2013 season. When the Grizzlies faced the Spurs, and you truly came to understand what the ceiling of this philosophy was, this inside-outside philosophy, the two bigs philosophy, in a game that was going more towards an offensive, faster-paced, smaller lineup, outside shooting um, mentality, whenever you saw the limitations of what the Grizzlies and Clippers were trying to do, that's when it kind of lost its steam to me. Yeah, I still focused on the games. I still got aggressive. I still wanted to see them play each other. But when you realize that overcoming the hurdle of the Clippers or the Grizzlies really wasn't going to lead anywhere, but maybe a second round exit, that kind of that that kind of took away from the luster of the rivalry, in my opinion. Huh. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, because after that, they didn't really cross paths at all. As the Grizzlies faced Oklahoma City in 2014, Portland, and then Golden State in 2015, and San Antonio in 2016 and 2017. That's a really interesting way to look at it. And there was also never really any of those defining moments other than the Marc Gasol, McGregor walk when he hit that go-ahead three in 2016 against them. But you can argue that would have happened if he hit that shot against anybody. And it was also really... Interesting too, looking at it from a Clippers side, because when I when I was starting out my blogging career, I was on a Grizzlies site over at Fansided, and we actually had a few Clipper fans on staff, and they didn't really consider it much of a rivalry. They didn't really care, and I think that's because most Clipper fans had their sights more set on the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors because they were really loading up to try to go for. A championship. I mean, they've they added JJ Redick next to Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. They just made all these moves and really built a loaded 10-man lineup ready to go for the playoff. And that's also when they got Doc Rivers as well. Uh, they were loaded up, ready to win a title where the Grizzlies were just and they had the Jeff Green move, but really after the Jeff Green thing. A lot of their moves were to really just potentially just catch a break, catch a, a right matchup or a matchup where a team's not at full of strength. I didn't really see where there was much of the – I mean, there was that like with Chandler Parsons, but you can argue the door was just already kind of shut after that. I mean, I, on the last episode with Joe and with Brandon, I argued that the door was already shut regardless just because the Warriors got Kevin Durant. Agreed with that. And the thing that you get back to with the um, Clippers and the Grizzlies, I can fully see the Grizzlies 
putting more value, putting more um, focus on the rivalry with the Clippers than the Clippers did with the Grizzlies. Because the, the, the Grizzlies, they wanted that rivalry. They had more narratives to go on their side. It was the outside, work your hardest, blue chip mentality against the guys who were self-ordaining themselves and taking all that they could without actually earning it. There was the non-mainstream market with the mainstream market. There was the, the you know, guys who were, you know, looked at as playing above their skill set versus the Chris Pauls and Blake Griffins who were looked at as Hall of Fame locks back in those days. So the Grizzlies fans and, and, and media had more narratives to work with to, to up themselves, to get hyped up about the rivalry than the Clippers did. So I can certainly see that. But also at the end of the day, it, 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 that gets back to my point. That's why it was a rivalry and why the Grizzlies had success. They had reasons to want to play the Clippers. The Clippers did not want to sit there and be disrupted by the Grizzlies. The shimmy walk by Mark and Saul was great, but to me, the the, the bigger images uh, were the uh, the Claymore, if you will, that uh, Tony Allen put on Chris Paul when yes. he got ejected from the game, and then also the uh, the, the obviously the wrestling uh, uh, down low in the twelve uh, thirteen series, um, and then of course obviously the the end of that game, you know when um, you know uh, Zach Randolph got ejected for his you know uh, verbal verbal did that verbal shot, and then Chris Paul got ejected for his. Uh, um, hello, if you will, to Mark Gasol uh, soon after. So I, I agree with you. It was a great rivalry, but I think that it was a, meant more to the Grizzly side than the Clipper side. Yeah, I agree there. And do you think over the next decade or so, you know, with next gen, with John, Jaron, and Brandon Clark rising up, do you think we'll ever see another grit and grind versus Lob City rivalry, similar to that Grizzlies Clippers. Just one where there's kind of just that, like you've alluded to, the, the discomfort playing against the other team, like from the Clippers side and the Grizzlies side, and just a tad bit of animosity towards the other side. I mean, it's kind of obvious that Zach Randolph didn't like Blake Griffin, and then Chris Paul wasn't really liked on the other side either. So, do you think we'll ever see any? sort of that bitterness and animosity in a Grizzlies rivalry ever again? I don't think you'll see the animosity because I, and the reason why that is, is because of the likely sources that I think that are out there in the Grizzlies next rivalries. When you think about it, Parker, you've talked a lot about the 2018, 2019 playoffs Arguably, the three teams that have been, whose futures have been boosted higher than expectations ever thought they would be over the past two drafts are who? The Grizzlies, the Pelicans, and the Mavericks, all in the same division, all impacted by the talents that they drafted over the past two years. Luka, obviously, and Brunson and others in Dallas – Obviously, the moves that the Pelicans made in getting Zion and trading Anthony Davis, us with the Conley, and then getting John Jaron. I think the rivalries for the next decade that will be there between the Grizzlies and the um, Mavericks and the Pelicans, the Rockets over the next few years, you know, we'll see, you know, what happens with the Spurs eventually. But I, I've argued it for over the past two years. The Southwestern Conference, if it stays intact, is going to be the most exciting in the NBA. The animosity, I don't necessarily think is going to be there. You've got the connection between Zion and Jaw, and also you don't have that 
hope for an edge. Like you've got these guys who are more into social media. They're more into the mainstream. They, it seems like they're going to get along more than they're going to have animosity towards each other. But if the, even though the animosity is not there, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I truly do think that that, that trio could really reach a higher level than the Clippers and the Grizzlies rivalry because I think the cores that are in place from the Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Mavericks, I think between the three franchises, you could see multiple championships this decade coming up from the cores that are in place now. That's fair. I mean, that's what, honestly, I thought about too, especially with Zion and Ja being friends that grew up and played AAU together. I can see... A Dallas one getting a little testy just because of Luca and Jaws edge and their competitive fire. Also, too, like I yeah. think Porzingis has a little bit of that edge as well. Where I mean, who knows? Maybe if he has a little. And then, <laughs> as long as they keep Jonas Valanciunas, they're going to have that enforcer. So you can see Jonas kind of battling and getting testy with Kristaps Porzingis as well. I think another team that could be up there if they catch up a little bit, I can see Phoenix because we saw a few years ago, Ubre had that little scuffle with Kelly Olenek in that Boston and Washington series a few years back. You know, I, I'm not doing this on purpose, but I can see that same thing with Ubre and Brooks. And yeah. then just because, not because of the trade or anything, just because of. They have those dog personalities similar to each other. They play the same position. I can just see that. And obviously, we've seen the Devin Booker one with Vince Carter back in 2017. I think Devin Booker can get himself into some stuff too. I can see Phoenix being one, but that's a team that we got to see catch up to the Grizzlies and Mavericks and Pelicans and Kings. They need to catch up to that tier before they can kind of consider that a robbery but hey who knows i mean with the way everything's going and some of the teams at the top just do for a decline at some point and you mentioned the san antonio spurs i mean houston rockets the uncertainty with the utah jazz i mean we never you never know i mean we could see that rivalry that and may not end up passing the grind city lob city in terms of animosity bitterness and just that old school rivalry that you know, all the people in your generation, Sean, they just say like, oh man, the league, they're all buddy-buddy nowadays. Like, it may not hit that point again, but some of the next great robberies in Grizzlies history could have a lot more at stake. And by a lot more at stake, I mean a trip to the NBA Finals. Completely agree. And at the end of the day, I think that's what matters. You can sit here and have all the narratives. You can have the personality. You can have the back and forth in the media, all that. But that's why I mentioned in the in the Clippers-Grizzlies rivalry, kind of what the, 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 uh, the hammer nail coffin, the, uh, the final, kind of what broke the back of that rivalry was when you realize that these these – the way that these teams were made, they weren't going to get there. They weren't going to have that magical run, even though the Grizzlies and Clippers fans think that there were a few years they could have. It didn't happen. But while you don't know a lot about what these cores are, especially with the Grizzlies, 
it's it's exciting on a couple of fronts because you've got talents that you've never really seen before in the franchise of the Grizzlies. You've got a philosophy that's working that you haven't really seen before. And the big thing is, is that it's happened so quickly. So, you know, just because a lot of it is undefined, it, you don't want to set any type of expectations to limit the possibilities. That's That's what makes this so exciting is that, Everything you've seen so far can suggest that this new era, this new core, this this new um, um, time of Grizzlies basketball, it definitely seems to have just as much, if not more, potential than the grit grind era and any past rivalries uh, that may have been great then. Perhaps more will be at stake in rivalries in the future. I agree. And Sean, a question I want to ask to wrap up the show <laughs> is in that Grind City, Lob City rivalry, who was your least favorite Clipper? Oh, Chris Paul. Chris, Chris Paul. Paul. Yeah, Chris, Chris Paul absolutely was my least favorite. Um, Blake Griffin was there in terms of, you know, I think Blake Griffin kind of took it on himself to want to be the mouthpiece and, and want to be the center of attention, but it absolutely was Chris Paul. And the reason why it was was because, let's just be honest, Chris Paul was by far the best talent, the most all-time legendary talent in that that group. If you were to put those two rosters together, Chris Paul was by far the best talent, the most legendary talent. To still be as petty as he was, was just, I, I don't know Chris Paul off the court, but if you were to just blame or judge him based off who he is on the court, he's an asshole. And he, and he takes pride in being that, and that's fine. But some of the stuff that he did towards Mark, I wasn't happy with. And and so, yeah, I just, to, to be as good as he was, but to kind of be as petty as he was at times, I just didn't like it that much. So he was my least favorite of any of the Clippers. That's fair. I probably have, I mean, granted, he really didn't break out until after their playoff series. Um, but I would say DeAndre Jordan, just because I've always thought he was super overrated. I mean, I always saw where people thought he was a top center in the league and one that was probably better than Marcus Gasol, and it just drove me insane because all he could do was dunk and block shots. Absolutely not true. <laughs> I would also say Reggie Evans, just because he was that scrappy, end-of-the-bench guy that just threw a wrench in the whole feed it down to Zebo and let him work because Reggie Evans was just as aggressive. It was just as much of a monster on the board to Zach Randolph, and it was just infuriating to watch. You're like, damn, this backup big Reggie Evans can't do anything else except for rebound is just changing the momentum of the entire series. And was a perfect good probably it for me. I agree completely with Reggie Evans. We were just talking about it the other day. Of course, me being in, you know, getting into my mid thirties, I can't sit here and remember what I had for breakfast today. But Reggie Evans, we talked about it the other day. I Reggie Evans, I think, was probably my most favorite Clipper um, of that time frame because there were few players, Parker, who when I watched him play, I'm like, hey, that guy is a Grizzly. That guy would be perfect for the Grizzlies. I'm gonna be honest with you. 
a guy who, before we got Brandon Clark, because Clark fills the role now that I wanted on the Grizzlies like crazy, was Montrezl Harrell. So I, I don't know. I, I, I may be a traitor here because I'm saying that, you know, I want Clippers on the Grizzlies, but Reggie Evans may have been my favorite because that guy's ability to rebound was unbelievable. And that one playoff game, I think it was the 11 12 game. It may have been the same game that Swaggy P went off. But he just got kept so many possessions alive. So I would actually say Reggie Evans was probably my favorite Clipper during that era. Yeah, I don't feel guilty about the whole wishing a Clipper was a Grizzly thing. I mean, I I didn't hate Blake Griffin. I I actually really like Blake Griffin. I always wanted JJ Redick, Jamal Crawford, Eric Bledsoe. I, I like that. And Nick, I am still a Nick Young fan. Like. Even after all he did, I I like him. And granted, that moment was tough to watch, but you you just hate to see it. I guess I don't know, but that that's just my thoughts on it. Don't feel bad about wanting Clippers and the Grizzlies. I mean, there's plenty of players on teams that we don't like that we are dying to see in a Grizzlies uniform. The big thing is is that, of course. I wrote about it the other day talking about the Pistons and the Grizzlies and kind of how they were two franchises, two eras and non-mainstream cities who were grown, you know, organically. They were grown through drafting and through moves and by taking on a brand that made them better than a lot of people expected. That's the thing, though, about the grit and grind era that the Clippers add to in a positive way is it's just another layer that's memorable and that will continue to be memorable. And the Clippers-Grizzlies rivalries are, is one of the preeminent reasons as to why I, I feel lucky enough to have been in my 20s during the grit and grind area, era and seen what it was. So at the end of the day, we've talked about this now going on you know, a good while, but at the end of the day, I'm very happy the Grizzlies um, – Clippers rivalry happened because it added, you know, significance to the grit and grind era, one that I think will be special for you know generations here in Memphis. For sure. And that's about all the time we have. Sean, do you have any final remarks before we close the show? I, I appreciate you having me on. Always a pleasure, Parker. Thank you for taking some of the time last week to to help us out. And uh, you know, here here soon, like I told you, you know, it, whenever you're ready to go. Um, you know, I, I'm cutting wrestling promos now, but you and Connor Dunning, or hey, if you want to get your four horsemen stable together, you and Nathan and Brandon and Connor, y'all want to get your stable together, I'll give my buddy um, uh, Justin a call, Justin Lewis. We'll, we'll take y'all four on too, but we'll, we'll have ourselves a, a Dylan debate. Nothing against Dylan. Love Dylan to death, but anytime you want to debate, I'm here for it, man. Sounds good to me. I'll hold you to it. And uh, Sean, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, so um, it, 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 you can find me at StatsSAC on Twitter. I, I do a lot of work. That's thankful for the uh, support Parker and Joe and others have, have shown me there. I do a lot of work through Grizzly Bear Blues. I also, um, as Parker mentioned now, I was with the 3ND podcast, which was a wonderful experience, but now I'm uh, working with a good buddy of mine, Mark King, uh, through Locked on Grizzlies. Uh, we've got a lot of shows uh, coming up, but we try to get creative, you know, to, similar to what's going on here. But you can follow that at Locked on Grizz, and you can follow myself at StatsSAC all on Twitter, and uh, you can find the Locked on Grizzlies podcast uh, anywhere that a podcaster show. Yes, sir. And thank you, Sean. And thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for all the work you do. And Really, if this tournament is going to show anything, it should be Sean's 
coming out party per se as a blogger, a podcaster, and a personality in Grizz Twitter because I think he's one of the strongest assets in Grizzlies Twitter with his analytical deep dives, his podcast. I mean, he's reliable, but podcast. I mean, you always I remember when he was the host over at three and D every single week. I can always count on a three and D episode from him. And now he's going on to the lot on Grizzlies podcast, doing great work there. And he's still producing great work and great ideas over at the blog. So thank you, Sean. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Be sure to vote in the Grizzlies Twitter tournament at SB and Grizzlies and make sure you are liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever it takes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. With that, that's it.